We've been in a series together over the last number of weeks. We're calling What's Right With You. We're taking our attention off of anything and everything that may be wrong, anything that's wrong physically, anything that's wrong mentally, anything that's wrong financially or relationally, and we're putting our attention where? On what's right with us. Because when you find out what's right with you, that will fix what's wrong with you. And as we've stated a number of times before, you'll never fix what's wrong by talking about what's wrong. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter six. He said, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? That would be like saying to somebody who's, who's really of small stature, really short, real, real little guy. And you, you, you see him one day and he's just all stressed out. He's worried, he's struggling, he's sweating. And you, and you say to him, what, what's wrong, man? What's going on? And he says, I'm just, I'm just trying so hard to be taller. Just trying so hard. Well, Jesus said, how can worrying about it add one cubit to your stature? Worrying about being taller has never made anybody taller. And we look at that and go, well, duh, you know, of course. But the same principle applies to everything. Being worried about your finances? Come on. Has that ever added a dollar to anybody? Worried about it? Worried about what's wrong? Has that ever fixed the problem? No. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his... That's what's right. Seek what's right. And everything you need will be added to you. That's what we've been doing here is discovering what's right. What's right with us. And our foundation scripture for this is in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. We've looked at it a number of times. Let's look at it again, uh, uh, together again. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, he said, if anyone is in Christ, somebody shout, that's me. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now this verse in particular, and everything we're studying, but especially this verse, is about one thing. Identity. Identity. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, or he's got a new identity. I want you to bear that in mind today. He said, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, or in other words, not holding their sin against them. Aren't you thankful God's not holding anything against you? I mean, he could, couldn't he? Is there anything you've ever done, I've ever done, that he could be holding against you right now? Yeah. Yeah, he could be. But instead, he reconciled us to him and chose not to hold it against us. And then turned around and gave to us this word of reconciliation. The same thing he did in Jesus, through Jesus for us. He's given us that same word and we're supposed to be now doing that for other people. That's why he says, now then we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us 
Say this next part with me. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God. This is what's right with you. And it's what's right with you right now. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, if you've been hanging out with us over the last several weeks, we are endeavoring by the help of the Holy Spirit to put these words in our mouths more often. This simple confession, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And I told you a few weeks ago, you need to be saying that more. And I hope you have been. If you haven't, then pick up with us on it. You need to be saying it all the time. It needs to be a part of your regular conversation. And it doesn't even have to be conversation with anybody else. Come on, you talk to yourself. I know you do. We all do. And part of what you need to be saying to you and about you all the time is what? I am the righteousness of God. Now, don't forget those last two words. Without those last two words, you're lying. Without those last two words, you're deceived. It is an incomplete and therefore powerless confession to say, I'm the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness. It sounds good, doesn't it? I'm the righteousness of God, bless God. If you forget those last two words, if you're not constantly aware of those last two words, what are they? In Christ. Those two words are what put, puts power in the words before that. You are not the righteousness of God in you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's identity. To say that I'm in him is to say that I identify with him. Man, have we heard that phrase thrown around these last few years more than any other time in human history. I identify. Have you heard anybody identify as something lately? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're nervous. I know I'm watching all the same stuff online on the news you're watching. People are identifying as you name it. Any old thing that comes to mind. Well, if they can identify as that, I can identify as the righteousness of God in Christ. That's my identity. That's what this, this entire study has been about. And if you dig a little deeper, you find out that's what the word of God is about. It's about you finding out who you are in him. While the rest of this world asks this question in desperation, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? I don't know who I am. Can somebody tell me who I am? That question is a waste of your time. The question you should be asking and answering is, who am I in him? That's how you find out who you are. Who am I in Christ Jesus? And in Christ Jesus, I'm a new creation. In Christ Jesus, the old me is dead and gone. In Christ Jesus, my sin is not being held against me. In Christ Jesus, I have been reconciled to God. In Christ Jesus, me and God are good. In Christ Jesus, there's nothing between me and him but faith and love. In Christ Jesus, I am the righteousness of God. In him. That's my identity. 
the uh, New Living Translation says it like this. He said that God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, that we could be made right with God. That's what righteousness means, made right with God through Christ. The Amplified Classic Bible says that we're the righteousness of God. That means it's what we ought to be. In other words, that's what you were created to be, right with God, approved, acceptable, and in right relationship with him by his goodness. Approved, well, if you're approved, that means you're not disapproved. And that seems so obvious, but how many people live their entire lives on this earth struggling to believe that God approves? They're constantly being told, either by themselves or by others, that God doesn't approve, God doesn't approve, God doesn't approve. Well, he may not approve of every dumb thing we've ever done, but when it comes to who you are, when you are in Christ, he approves. He approves. Not only are you approved of, you're acceptable, which means you're not rejected. And I think if there's any one thing that the human nature deals with in this life more than anything else, it's rejection. People suffer rejection from family. They suffer rejection from friends. But I'm here to tell you this morning that let the whole world reject you. Your God never will. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are not rejected. You are accepted. And you're in right relationship with him. And as we mentioned last week, that is the sweetness of life, being in right relationship. Isn't that good when, when relationship is good, when relationship is right? You could have a bunch of other things that look good, seem good, feel good. But if the relationships in your life are off, none of that other stuff seems to matter. Relationships are valuable. The most important and valuable thing God has ever given you is people. The people in your life are the greatest gift he's ever given you. Amen. And to be in right relationship with them is the sweetness of life. To be in right relationship with God, there's nothing else any better than that. Glory to God. So last week I asked you this question. How would you know if you actually believe that? Now, we're just a few minutes into this this morning. I'm already shouting and preaching to you. And you're sitting up in church on a Sunday and you know that the right response is amen, preach it, that's good, I believe that. But how do we know? Beyond you just saying, yeah, I believe, yeah, I agree. How do we know? How do we look at your life and see the evidence that you actually believe that you're the righteousness of God in Christ? That you actually believe that you are accepted in the beloved, that you really do believe that you're not rejected by him, but that your relationship is right with God because there's supposed to be evidence, right? This stuff we talk about is supposed to show up in our lives. <laughs> That's the idea, isn't it? They're supposed to be proof, living proof. So how do we know? Let me ask that same question to you this week. Let me, let me rephrase it a little bit for the sake of what we're going to get into here. How do we know what you identify as? Now, all these other people in our world right now claiming to identify as this and that and the other, that shows up, doesn't it? They, they literally wear <laughs> what they identify as. How do we know what you identify as? I'm not here to preach on all that other stuff this morning. <laughs> You're here. I'm talking to you. How do we know that you identify as the righteousness of God in Christ. Well, we looked at this verse last week and we'll put it on the screen again for you. It's from the book of Proverbs chapter 28, 
verse 1, this is a defining characteristic of those who believe they are the righteousness of God. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 1, what the wicked flee, they run away when no one pursues. That's fear as a way of life. Constantly terrified about what's coming. And there ain't even nothing chasing them. Sorry, that was a terrible English sentence. I just ain't even nothing. But you got the point, didn't you? There's nothing chasing them. And yet they're running. That's fear as a way of life. That is the defining characteristic of the wicked, or you could say those who are not the righteousness of God in Christ. Fear defines them. And just so we're clear, fear is not a feeling. Feelings come with it, but fear is not a feeling. Fear is a spirit. But God has not given you the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Fear is not a feeling, it's a spirit. Fear is a prison. It keeps people locked up. It keeps them frozen, unable to step out in faith. Fear is a spirit. Fear is a prison. It's a spirit that must be resisted. But it is a defining characteristic of those who are not the righteousness of God in Christ. But how many of you would raise a hand and say, we're supposed to be different? Do you believe that? Man, I believe that. I believe there is supposed to be a difference between us and an unbelieving world. And that that difference is supposed to be visible. That difference is supposed to be audible, tangible. That difference is supposed to be showing up on a daily basis in our lives. So if the wicked, put that back up there for us, if the wicked are defined by their fear, the unrighteous, they're running when no one pursues, what's the difference between us and them? The righteous, shout it out, that's me. What are you? Bold as a lion. Have you noticed this about lions? They don't run from much. They're not running in fear. The righteous, in contrast to the wicked, we are as bold as a lion. We talked a lot about that last week. We looked at another verse together from the book of Isaiah that tells us about lions. It says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 29, they're roaring will be like a lion. Can I hear you roar this morning? All right, all right. They will roar like young lions. Yes, they will roar and lay hold of the prey. Now, if you actually believed this, that you're the righteousness of God, if you identify as the righteousness of God in Christ, one of the defining characteristics in your life would be a total lack of fear, and being full of boldness. When the world around you is running in fear, what are you doing? You're advancing in faith. With a boldness, listen, that reaches beyond the uncertainty of the future. This is what keeps people locked in the prison of fear. They don't take steps of boldness, take steps of faith into the future. Why? Because we don't know what's out there. We don't know what could be waiting for us there. People don't take steps of faith into their future for one silly reason. They've never been there before. But that's not a good reason, if you're the righteousness of God in Christ, to stay locked in the prison of fear your whole life. Maybe you've never been to the future, but your God has. 
As a matter of fact, the word says he inhabits eternity. How many of you would raise a hand and say, I believe God is here, present, in me, on me, with us, present right now. You believe that? Well, check this out. He's as much in your future right now as he is in your present right now. How's he do that? He's God. And when you identify with him, he's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit who will show you things to come. Why is that part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit? To show you things to come. To suck all the fear out of the future. You can go to the future into it with boldness when everybody's running from it in fear. Why? Because you've got the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you. And perhaps he hasn't painted a perfect picture that gives you all the details about it. But you've got enough confidence in you when he says step, you step. When he says move, you move. Because he's not leading you into something that's going to hurt you. He's not leading you into something that's going to rob, steal, kill, destroy from you. He's leading you into something that's good. He's been to your future and back. And he is your guide. He's your guide that shows you things to come. You and I have a serious unfair advantage over the rest of this unbelieving world. How'd we get that? How'd we get that advantage? Well... We're righteous in him. Amen. So we talked last week about the roar of the righteous. And we see here in that verse that this is one of the big things that lions do. And you probably knew that without me telling you. They roar. Look at it again. Isaiah 5, 29. Their roaring will be like the roar of young lions. They will roar, he said, and they will lay hold. Two things lions do. Number one, they roar. And it is a serious, serious roar. It is a roar that scares away their enemy. It is a roar that marks and defines their territory and what belongs to them. And you've got that same roar of the righteous on the inside of you. And we looked to the ministry of Jesus. If you remember this, if you were with us last week, we talked about how people were astonished. And it wasn't just the miracles. It wasn't just the signs and the wonders. They were astonished at his teaching, at the words coming out of his mouth. He said, they said, what is this teaching? He teaches like somebody with authority, with authority, with some boldness, with some confidence. That's the roar of the righteous. You've got that same roar on the inside of you. It is a roar that scares away your enemy. It is a roar that defines and marks what belongs to you. Amen. And God's given you that roar. You have within you the roar of the righteous. I want to hear it again. Come on, let me hear that roar this morning, church. There you go. But the word boldness literally has to do with the words that come out of your mouth. The word itself literally means unreservedness of speech. Lions don't roar quietly. They roar and you can hear it for up to five miles away. That's not quiet. That's not sheepish. That's not scared. There's not a trace of fear in that roar. And you've got that same thing on the inside of you. So two things lions do. What do they do? Number one, roar. They roar. Now, number two, this is what I want to get into. 
this week. According to this verse, they roar and they lay hold. They lay hold of the prey, or you could say it like this, they lay hold of what they desire. Now, traditional religious teaching does not emphasize you laying hold. It doesn't emphasize you taking. Traditional religious teaching doesn't emphasize you possessing by faith what belongs to you in Christ. Many people, and maybe some of you in here were grown, uh, grew up and you were taught about the quote-unquote sovereignty of God, that basically that teaching would say, if God wants you to have something, you'll have it. If he doesn't want you to have it, you won't have it. Now the implication is that you don't have anything to do with it. The implication of that emphasis is you have nothing to do with receiving anything from God. But that is not what the Bible teaches. That is not true. The Bible talks to us about laying hold. Now it's going to take some boldness to lay hold. I want to read something to you that came as a word from the Lord through my grandfather, Kenneth Copeland, a number of years ago, back in November of 2011. Do we have that? I think we were going to try to put that. There we go. Take a look at this as I read it to you. Pay attention to these words. The word of the Lord came to him and he said, I have a great storehouse. Much more has been stored up in the storehouse of riches beyond your wildest dream that I laid up for you before the foundation of the world. Much more is stored up there than what the church has ever called for. I have not held back on the church, saith the Lord and the God of plenty. I've made it available to you. I've put it in my word. I gave you promise and stood behind it with the blood, the precious blood of your Savior. But there's been a backwardness in my people about what? Laying hold. There's been a backwardness in my people about laying hold of the things that I've provided for you. But I will say this, there is a people in the land, there is a people around the world, there is a people strong and mighty and growing much stronger and much mightier and more bold to lay hold and put their claim of faith on the things I have laid up for you. And it thrills me because it has been yours all the time. Thank you, Lord. This was the word of the Lord. In essence, he was saying, I've got things that I've stored up for you. But did you notice what he said there? There's been a backwardness in my people. There's been a backwardness, and I might say in their mentality, about how you lay hold of the things that he stored up for us. But I like what the Lord said there. He said, there is a people. There is a people that are growing strong, mighty, growing stronger and mightier. He said, there's a people in the church. There's a people around the world. I might add, there's a people in Green Mountain Falls, Colorado that are growing stronger and mightier and more bold to lay hold. Bold to lay hold. Let's say it together. I am bold to lay hold. 
Lay hold of what? Well, let's find out from the word what we're supposed to be laying hold of. Let me give you several verses here. We'll put them on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, a verse you're familiar with, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace. You've heard this verse. I've heard this verse. And sometimes these verses that we've heard over and over are the last ones to really sink in. But let this, let, let the Spirit of God really get across to you what he's saying to you here. He is inviting you to not only come before the throne of God, which that in and of itself is like, wow, right? That is awesome. He's inviting you up to the very throne. And people, they know this verse is in the Bible. They've heard it. They've read it. Many of them have preached it. But yet in demonstration, in their prayer life, in their believing, how do they talk? Do they talk about coming right up to the throne of God? No, they talk about let us pray. Let us stand out here and bombard the gates of heaven. Have you ever heard anybody talk like that? But what are they revealing? They're acting like this verse doesn't even exist. They're out there bombarding gates that aren't closed. Oh God, oh God, we pray that our, somehow our voice would come before you in the heavens. We, we plead with you, oh God, don't you see the state our poor nation is in? Oh God, we plead with you. They're standing out there at the gates. And God's like, what you doing out here? But yet this is how people with a traditional religious mindset think. They're pleading with God, but they are not responding to his invitation to come on in. He's invited you to the throne. But not only has he invited you to the throne, he told you how to come. And how was that? Boldly. Now, we've talked about this before, but bear in mind, this was written by the Spirit of God to Hebrew people. That's why it's in the book of Hebrews. And these are people who for generation after generation after generation were taught the law and were always told about Moses and the tabernacle and then the temple. And there was one thing you knew as a common person, you don't go in there. You stay out here. Don't come close. Don't go close to that holy place. And this goes all the way back to Mount Sinai. Before there was a tabernacle, they were taught, don't go near that mountain. You touch that mountain and you die. That's why they're like, Moses, you go talk to God. Let us know what he says. We'll be over here, like way over here. And this is who this verse was written to. He was telling these people, y'all come boldly. And they were probably like, say what now? You want us to do what? You want us to go where? Yeah, come on in. Come right up to the throne. And they think, okay, well, if I'm going to go before the throne of God, I better get low. I better grovel. I better crawl. He said, no, 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 no. Come and come boldly. Come with some boldness about you. And if I'm a Hebrew person hearing that for the first time, you know what I'm thinking? You go boldly. 
Let's see what happens to you. I'm not going in there boldly. But you got to understand there was an identity change. And now you identify in Christ, with Christ, as the righteousness of God in him. And as the righteousness of God in Christ, you can come boldly. Now put that verse back up there for us. Let's look at this. Again, Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. If you're in need of mercy, let's just think about this for a minute. If you're in need of mercy, what happened? You missed it somewhere, right? I missed it. If I'm in need of mercy, then somewhere along the way, I have missed it. I have sinned. I have violated the light and revelation I had on something or I did something that was not a faith. Somewhere along the way, I sinned. I'm in need of mercy. Does that sound funny to you? Attached to come on in boldly? But that's when you need the most boldness. When you're in need of mercy is not when you come in identifying with the sin. That's when you come in identifying with the blood of Jesus that cleanses you and washes you of all unrighteousness. Come boldly. What are you going to find there? You're going to find mercy. And what else do you say? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. Two things are waiting for you at the throne. Mercy and grace. Now, now look at this one more time. I want to draw your attention to one word in particular. He said, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain. Obtain. That word is a word you see repeated over and over and over again, actually over 200 times in the New Testament. And it's, it's translated a few different ways, kind of some miscellaneous ways a few times, but 133 times in the New Testament, that word obtain is translated receive. Over a hundred times, it's translated take. Take. Now that is a word religion hates. Because it sounds arrogant. It sounds presumptuous. But what did the Bible say? He said, come boldly to the throne of grace and take your mercy. Come boldly to the throne of grace and take your grace. Take it? Take it. Just take it. Yes. Take it. How many of you know you got to have some boldness just to take some stuff? Just take it. Take your grace. He didn't say anything about begging for it. He didn't say anything about trying to deserve it, to act worthy of it. He said, come right up to that throne and Take it. Take your mercy. Take the grace that you need. The Bible also says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 12, in whom, talking about Jesus, so these, this is one of those in him identity scriptures, in Christ, or when you identify with him, you have boldness. In Jesus we have boldness and we have, what else? Access with confidence through faith in him. In Jesus, 
through faith in Jesus, or you could say it like this, when you identify with Jesus, you have boldness. When you identify apart from him, when you identify with yourself as yourself, or you identify with the mistake, you identify with the sin, how much boldness do you have to come before the throne of grace? None. But when you identify in him, that's the source of your boldness. Faith in Jesus is the source of boldness. Identifying with Jesus is the source of your boldness. It's the source of your confidence. And not only do you have boldness, you have, he said, access. Somebody say access. Access. I'm going somewhere with this. Pay attention. You see the same word in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He said, therefore, having been justified by faith, you could say, you could very easily say there, having been made the righteousness of God in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access. Say it again, access. Access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In Jesus, we have Access. By faith, we have access. I'm going to keep saying this word till it gets in your brain. By faith, we have access. Access. Access to what? Access to the grace. Faith gives you access to grace. God has given you the grace. Faith gives you access to it. Faith in Jesus is your boldness and your access. Have you ever known anybody or been with anybody who, because you were with them or because you knew them, it got you access? That's a good feeling, isn't it? You show up to a place and your name ain't on the list. And you say, it's okay. I'm with him. And who's him? Him is whoever's putting this whole thing on. Who, him is whoever's paying for this whole thing. And when that person who wasn't going to let you in now sees who you're with, oh, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, right away, come on in. Why? Because you are with him. They are your access. Identifying with Jesus gives you access. Access to what? All the grace. Come boldly before the throne of grace, that you may take your mercy and take your grace. What's he saying? I'm giving you access to it. Access. Now we understand access. Think about it like this. Let's say you've got a bank account. That shouldn't be too much of a stretch, right? For, for us. Anybody in here got a bank account? Okay. Thank you, Lord. Let's say you got a bank account. Let's say there's a million dollars in that account. There you go. I was hoping for a few amens right there. Let me try it one more time. Let's say you got a million dollars in that account. Okay. I'm with you. Would you be telling the truth if you said, I have a million dollars? Yeah. It might be an awkward conversation, but if we were standing together and I said, you got a million bucks and you say, yeah, I've got a million dollars. And I said, show it to me. Well, probably you don't have it on you, right? It's probably not folded up in your wallet. It's probably not in your purse. And you might say, what? Well, <laughs> I don't have it on me. It's, it's in the account. So really what you're saying, when you say, I have a million dollars, what you're really saying is what? I have access. I can get my hands on it right now. 
Why? Because you got an account, and that account has your name on it. Therefore, you have access to it. Are you with me? See, we understand access. And we understand that to take hold or to lay hold of the money that's in that account, all you really have to do is walk in. And walk in with some boldness. Walk in with some confidence. And say what? I'd like some of what belongs to me. Right? What is that bank teller going to ask for? They want to see some identification. They want to know who you identify as. Now, that's simple, right? You provide some identification, and as long as the identification you provide is the same name on the account and they can confirm it, you have total access to lay hold of anything and everything that's in that account. But what if you started talking to the bank teller like so many people talk to God? What if you got a million bucks in the account? And you come into that bank and your head's hanging low, tears streaming down your face. And they say, can I help you? And you say, my electric bill is due. It's $112. Okay, well, um, do you have an account here? I think so. Okay, um, is, is there money in the account? Yeah, like a million bucks. <laughs> Great, okay, well, can you provide some identification? I don't know who I am. <sighs> Just unworthy. So unworthy, you know what? I don't even deserve it. I don't even deserve the $112. <laughs> I don't know who I am. Who am I? That teller is going to look at you and say, can you just give me an ID? Can, do, do you have an account here, right? Yeah, but I'm not worthy of it. I'm not worthy of anything that's in there. If you cannot boldly and confidently say, I am, and then prove it, you will never lay hold of what's in that account. They won't give it to you. You will walk out of there empty-handed simply because you didn't identify as the man or woman who owns the account. And you will go with the need unmet. And it wasn't that there wasn't ability to meet it, resource. You had access to it all along, all you had to say was who you were. That's it. That is it. But if you talk to the bank like you talk to God, you will never lay hold of everything that grace has already provided. I love how open-ended he made it. You come to the throne, you can have mercy for when you missed it and grace for when you need help. That's like all the time. 
those two things cover your entire existence from sun up to sundown every day of your life. Mercy when you need it, grace when you need some help. You need some help? Yeah, I need some help. There's a grace for that. You need some help financially? Yes, Lord, there's a grace for that. You need some help at home? Yes, Lord, there's a grace for that. And you've got access, access, access to all of it. You can lay hold of it, but he's going to need to see some identification. So you come up boldly before the throne of grace and you say, Lord, I'm in need of mercy. I missed it. You're not trying to hide anything. You're not trying to conceal anything. Who are you talking to anyway? You're not going to fool him. Just be honest, Lord. I missed it. I'm going to need some mercy today. What's he going to say? Take it. Take it. Now you will leave there without your mercy if you can't present some identification. If you cannot say, I come to you in the name of Jesus. This is who I identify as. This is what I identify as. The righteousness of God in Christ. If you are in need of mercy at the throne of grace, and you can present that identification, what's he going to say to you? Take it. My mercy's new every morning. My mercy endures forever. You can't out my mercy. Take it. Just take it, take it. Take a little more. You're going to need some tomorrow. Go ahead and take some. Lord, Father, I'm in need of some grace. I've come up against some things that I cannot do on my own. I don't know the answer to. As a matter of fact, I don't even understand it. I need some grace, Lord. And he says, can I see some ID? Yes, I'm Jeremy. Who? I am the righteousness of God. You have made me your righteousness. Everything between me and you is right because I'm in him. I need some grace. What's he going to tell you? Take it. It's yours. You have access to the grace. But it's going to take some boldness to lay hold of that. You cannot come up before him sin conscious. You can't come up before him full of shame, full of guilt. Those things, condemnation is a confidence killer. He said, you can come, but you got to come boldly. You have to come with some confidence about you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You've got access. Thank you, Lord. Now, just because you have access to all the grace that God has provided doesn't necessarily mean that you are automatically going to enjoy any of it. What grace provides must be received by faith. Grace is the hand of God that gives. Faith is the hand of man that takes. It it requires those two things working together. Thank you, Lord. I'll just give you another couple of verses. There's more here that we could dig into, but for the sake of time, just listen to this. From 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. The Spirit of God writing through Paul said, Fight the good fight of faith. And do what? 
lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He told you to fight and he told you to lay hold. Man, that sounds so different, doesn't it? Than what so many people were brought up to believe and, and, and really, honestly, what so many people are hearing these days. It's all up to God. If he wants you to have it, he'll give it to you. If he doesn't, he'll keep it from you. And we don't really know. And again, the implication is you've got nothing to do with it. But he told you, fight the good fight. What's he saying? There's going to be a fight. Oh, I don't want to hear that. I'm sorry, <laughs> but there's going to be a fight. And it's the fight of faith. It's the fight to lay hold of everything grace has provided you lay hold of it. How do, you do, how do you lay hold of it? You lay hold of it by faith. The Weiss translation of this says, be constantly engaging in the contest of faith, which contest is marked by its beauty of technique. He said, take possession. These words lay hold here are translated, take it. Take possession of it. This is exactly what Jesus said in the book of Mark chapter 11, when he said, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says, those things which he says will come to pass. He said, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Exact same word translated obtain. Exact tra same word translated take it. Jesus told you, when you pray, believe you take it. Believe you take it. He says, I'm giving you access to it. You got to believe you take it. And yes, there will be a fight involved in this. It's the fight of faith. It's the good fight of faith. Now, the ultimate example of this, musicians, you guys go, go ahead and come up. The ultimate example of this is the children of Israel. As the Lord delivered them out of Egypt, he said, I'm bringing you out of that land because I've got this other one over here for you. He said, it's a good land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. And God brought them out and he brought them out with signs and wonders and miracles. He fed them in the wilderness. And he said to them, look at this in the, the book of Deuteronomy. He said it over and over. There's a land I've given you. I've given it to you. And you know what he told them? Go take possession. What's he saying? Go take it. It's yours. Go take it. So when they got right up to it, God told Moses, send out some spies to go look at the land I'm giving them. So Moses got some guys together from every tribe and he sent them to go spy out the land. And he said, go spy out the land, see what kind of land it is. See if it's good land, see if it's bad land, see who dwells there, just check it out. The one thing he didn't say was go see if we can do it. He didn't tell them, go check it out and see if it's possible. Are you listening? Yes. He said, he didn't say, go, go spy out this land and see if it's even something that's possible for us. And yet they went and they spied out the land. You know what happened? 40 days they were there and they picked some of the fruit from the land, grapes the size of your head, and they brought them back to the congregation of Israel after 40 days. And they brought back this report and said, oh yeah, it's a good land. Sure, flows with milk and honey. Here's the fruit from it. But if you look at that in the book of Numbers 13, they use this word, 
Nevertheless. Watch out. Here come the excuses. All the excuses why you can't take it. Church, there will always be a reason. There will always be an excuse for you and I to make for why we can't lay hold of the grace. And they came back and said, yes, a good lamb, but you know what? There's some tall people there and the city's big and the walls are tall. And these people live over there and those people live over here and the other people live over there. So I guess we can't have it. All these reasons. You notice how much of it had to do with other people. How much of it had to do with other people and why other people were the reason they couldn't have what God had already given them. Excuses. Excuses, excuses, excuses. And the Bible says... A man named Caleb spoke up. It says he quieted all the people. Caleb stood up there and said, y'all shut up. He said, let's go right now and take it. This is what he said. Numbers 13, 30. Let's go right now and take possession of it. He said, we are well able. Now he was there. He saw all the same walls, all the same tall people. He saw all the same people living on that side and this side. He saw everything the other spies saw, and yet he saw something different. He said, let's go, and let's go right now. Let's take it. It's ours. We are well able. And the others spoke up and said, we are not well able. Somebody's wrong. If you've got two people who looked at the same thing, and one of them walked away and said, we can do it. We can have it. We can take it. And the other walked away and said, we can't do it. There's no way it's impossible. Somebody's wrong. But they said, we're not well able. They began to cry and weep. And they said, those people are too strong for us. And then they revealed the whole problem. They said, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Actually, they said it like this. We were like grasshoppers in our sight, and so we were in theirs. What's the problem? Identity. Identity. I guarantee you there's somebody in our world right now who identifies as a grasshopper. <laughs> and that's what these guys identified as. We are grasshoppers. That's who we are. That's what we are, and it's impossible. And they started weeping. They started crying. They started saying, why did we even come here? We got to go back to Egypt. We're going to die out here. And again, Caleb and Joshua spoke up and said, no, no. He delights in us. Let's go right now. Take it. He delights in us. He said, these people will be our bread. We're going to eat these people for lunch. Because he delights in us. What is this? It's boldness. It's confidence. It's identity. Don't you know who we are? We're his children. We're his people. Didn't you see what he did for us coming out of Egypt? Come on, let's go. Let's take it. And they said no. And they sought to stone these two. Have you ever noticed how boldness 
shows up people who don't have any. And they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to get on board with your boldness or they're going to get mad at you. And they sought to stone them. And God heard all this and he said to Moses, why have they rejected me? God takes it personally when he has piled up all this grace, given you total access to it, and you say, no, I can't. I'm not enough. I'm a grasshopper. He says, why are you rejecting me? Oh, I'm not rejecting you. Yeah, you are. A lack of boldness is rejection to him. And he said to Moses, I'm done. Nobody in this generation is going into this promised land. He said, except Caleb and Joshua. You know what he said about Caleb? I like him. He's got a different spirit about him. Well, what spirit was that? Boldness. Confidence. Let's go right now. We are well able. God says, I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. And he takes the same kind of pleasure when you come boldly to the throne of grace and you take by faith everything grace has provided. Not because of who you are, but because of who you are, help me, in Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.